with me, please, to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. The Lord's Word is so rich. It is uh, alive, the Bible says. And it's, it's life to those that find it and health or medicine to all their flesh. Uh, the scripture said uh, in Jesus' ministry more than once, was it Luke six seventeen, I think, and then in the seventh chapter as well it talks about it, that the people came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. They didn't just come to, uh, to get healed, only they, they came to hear. And the Bible said in Psalms that he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Uh, God's word created the heavens and the earth. It, God's word could sure affect your kidney if it created planets. It could affect your lung or your heart. Do you believe it or not? His word. So, and it doesn't have to be just the word specifically on healing. All his words are life, and all his words are medicine to those that find it. Uh, so believe that you hear, you know, you, you want to hear what I'm saying, but, but you don't want to limit yourself to that. You want to hear what he's saying, and he'll say things to you that didn't come out of my mouth, right? He, he's speaking to you, and by his word, by his spirit, through me, directly, or whoever else would be ministering at the time. Thank God, His words are life. Say it out loud, His words are life. And His words are life to me. And medicine to all my flesh. His words heal me. His words enlighten me. His words deliver me. His words bless me. Increase me. Help me. Hallelujah. His words. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or comes out of the mouth of God shall man live. In Psalm 62, I believe it is. Psalm 62 and verse 1, and uh, I want to read this to you from Young's literal translation. We looked at this last Friday, I believe it was. And you really see in this uh, more in an original structure an emphasis that you don't see in the King James and a lot of the other translations. Uh, the Word of God as it was originally spoken and recorded, is perfect and flawless. And there are no mistakes. That does not hold true for all the subsequent translations. Everybody listening? That, that's not true concerning all the translations that men have done. Uh, here it says... Uh, only, this is how the psalm starts, only toward God is my soul silent, from him is my salvation. And again, the thought is only from him. Verse 2 says what? Only he is my rock and my salvation, my tower, I am not much moved. This is Young's literal. Now, we, we, we read it, you know, Western things, we, we read it the other way. But we might say it like this, he, he is my only rock. He is my only salvation. But really, this is more accurate because the emphasis is on only. Only what? Only he's my rock. Only he's my salvation. Verse 3. Till when do you devise mischief against man? Talking about the enemy. You're destroyed all of you as a wall inclined, a hedge that is cast down. Verse 4. 
What does it say? Only. Only. From his excellency, they've consulted to drive away. They enjoy a lie. With their mouth they bless. With their heart they revile. Verse 5. Only for God be silent, O my soul, for from him is my hope. As in contrast to from somewhere else. What is the psalmist saying and what is the Spirit of God saying through the psalmist? I'm only looking to God. I'm only looking to Him. He is my hope. Now another word for hope is expectation. Don't um, disrespect hope. And don't give hope the meaning of modern vernacular. Hope, really, we'd probably use the word in our modern English, expect. My expectation is from him. Uh, nowadays, the reason I say that is because people use hope in this fashion. They say, if you say, you think such and such might happen? And people will say, I sure hope so. That is not what this word means. Really, what they mean by that is, I, I wish it would be. I want it to be. I desire. They're talking about desire, not hope. So it's kind of been convoluted and mixed up. But when you see the word hope in the Bible, it's not talking about desire. It's talking about something that's based on faith. I'm expecting something. Well, why would I be expecting something? Because I'm persuaded of something. I believe something. So hope and faith are linked together. In fact, faith is the foundation of hope. Somebody said, didn't you say it backwards? No. (laughs) Faith, uh, again, what is Bible hope? Expectation. Well, you're not going to be expecting something unless you are persuaded of something. So only for God be silent, O my soul, for from him is my hope. Verse 6, what does it say? Reckon what the name of this song is. (laughs) Only he is my rock and my salvation, my tower. I am not moved. So he went from not being much moved to not being moved at all. (laughs) On God is my salvation and my honor, the rock of my strength. My refuge is in God, and of course the emphasis is in not on him and others, but just on him. Verse 8, trust in him at all times. In who? In him, and and the, the theme of the song is only, only on him, only on him. At all times. Oh, people, pour forth before him your heart. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Thank God. Everybody say, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Go on over to uh, Psalm 73. Psalm 73 and 25. You will find this thought in numerous places in the word. He said, Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. Listen to the NIV on this. The NIV says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Listen to the Living Bible. The Living Bible says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has, and I desire no one on earth as much as you. I like that too, don't you? I desire no one on earth as much as you. Now the the simple fact is, with most people on the earth, including most church going people, people that they see and hear and can touch and talk to, are more real to them than God that they can't see and can't touch. And if people are 
much more real to you than God is, then when you need something or want something, there's only two directions you can look. You either look to people. You're a people too. You look to the arm of flesh. And with most of the world, that's it. That's the end of their options. If they can't find what they need out of their self or from somebody else, then they're done. But there's another source. I said there's another source. There is a God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And for all those that have received Jesus, he is their father. And by what the Lord has done for us, we have access to him. We can actually come by faith boldly right to the throne. We don't have to get some preacher to pray for us. Huh? We don't, and we certainly don't need to pray to any dead saints. We don't need any intermediaries. Why would you say that? Because the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. How many go-betweens? How many? One. Now, a lot of people don't believe that. I mean, there's whole religions based on something other than that. But where's the scripture for it? Where is it? Thank God we don't have to go through other people. We can go directly to him. Do you believe it or not? You can go directly to him. And you can get answers and help directly from him. Somebody say directly, directly, directly from him. If somebody gave you something good, where'd they get it? They got it from him, right? So why don't you just cut out the middleman <laughs> and go straight to the source? Now, don't misunderstand me. A lot of times God on purpose will give you good things through other people, but that doesn't mean you look to them and you go to them to get your answers. There are times where you'll go to God and ask him for an answer and he'll give part of it through somebody else. Sometimes he'll give it all to you just directly. Sometimes he'll give part of it through this person and part of it through that person and part of it through another. He'll give, part, give you part of it on Sunday morning. He'll give you part of it when you read your chapter Tuesday morning. Huh? But no matter what uh, channel he used, it's coming from the same one source. How many believe this Bible, even though there are many human instruments that were used to speak these words and pen these words, it all came from one source through many different human agencies. I I changed my uh, phraseology some years ago You know, I used to say, and I hear a lot of people say, I received something from a totally unexpected source. The Lord helped me to see some years ago that don't say that because there's only one source. Huh? It came through an unexpected channel. God has a lot of channels. Huh? But none of them are my source. And never will be. Make no man or woman your source. If you put too much of your trust in people, you will be disappointed. Not maybe. Did you hear what I said? You will be. It's just a matter of time. You're going to be disappointed and it'll be your fault. No matter what they did or didn't do, it would be your fault because you shouldn't have put that much of your trust in them to start with. You shouldn't have relied only on them to give you what you need or to fix something in your life. Did you hear the text? Only. Only on him. Only on you. Only on you. Somebody say only on you. Only on you. Only on you. Oh, praise God. Glory to God. 
Look with me in while we're here in Psalms. Go back to Psalms 20 and verse 7. Y'all going to help me preach this? I appreciate it. <laughs> so this is what, how, how could we help you? Oh, you can help me or you can hurt me. You can't. If you, if you haven't spoken like this, you, you might not know, but you know, uh, you, you guys are great and the guys in Branson are great. And so many, but I have been a few places, thank the Lord, not too many, but I've been a few places where, you know, people sit back like this. And they're like, I, you, you, they don't even have to say it. You can see it on their face. They're like, I've heard the best. Who are you? Wow me. <laughs> uh, that's tough. Because utterance is greatly affected by the hearer. But you, uh, you're, you're not that way. Uh, Psalm 20 and verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we... We'll remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen. Why? Why? Is everybody awake? This is really important. We're going to get into some really significant things here. Why did they fall? Because they used horses. They used chariots. Huh? No. Not because they used horses. Israel used horses too. Israel had chariots. David had chariots. Solomon had chariots. A bunch of them. The Bible tells you how many he had. Hmm? Did the Lord command them not to have any horses? And not use any chariots? Well, then what's the psalmist talking about? Isn't, isn't that kind of hypocritical? Saying don't trust in chariots and horses when you've got a bunch of them and you use them every day? Is everybody awake? This has been such a, the enemy, it's not that it's complicated, but the enemy has caused so much confusion in the church, in the body, in the world on this issue we're talking about right now. We touched on this in the offering just, just, just a bit earlier. I don't know. There's probably more people misquote the verse uh, and say money's the root of all evil in the world than that get it right. Why? Because it's the enemy. He does not want you to get on the issue. He wants you to totally miss the issue. And the issue is not the money. Never was the money. What's the issue? What you trust. Oh, come on, can you see that? What you trust. Uh, go with me over to the, book, to, to the uh, gospel account here, to the New Testament. And uh, let's just take the time to talk about it. The, the account of the rich young ruler. In Luke 12, actually, let's see, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do too much at one time. Go to Mark 10, please, right now. Mark 10. And let's look at about verse 20 here. We'll see if that's the best place to start. Uh, when the rich young ruler came... And he said, uh, you know, Master, what can I do? What good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, the Lord talked some, a little bit about being good and none's good but God. And, and the reason he would say that is because this man is counting on being good to be saved. That's trusting in the wrong thing. Nobody is going to be saved because they did a lot of good things. Now, I, I just went crosswise of half the church going people right there. Hmm? What do you mean? I mean, a bunch of the church has this idea that when you die and you go to the 
uh, pearly gates. <laughs> and maybe Peter is there. And there's this big scale of balance. And we got to find out if you've been good enough or done enough good versus the bad or versus just being lazy that he looks at you and goes, whew, okay, you barely made it in, but come on. Come on in. You're good enough. That is fantasy. There'll be no scales at the entrance of heaven. Hmm? And if you're not saved before you left here, you won't be saved later. And it won't be based on the good things you did. You'll be rewarded for the good things you did. But you won't be saved because of the good things that you did. No. You can only be saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? It has to be by grace. What's grace? Grace is a gift. Jesus took your sins, paid the price for them, and rose triumphantly over it and gave you and I righteousness and gave us holiness gave us forgiveness and cleansing. We did not earn it and we don't deserve it. You need to quit talking about what you deserve. (laughs) You don't deserve it, nor do I. But he gave it to us anyway. And the smart ones received it. I said, do I have any smart ones in here? Oh, smart ones all over the place. Smart ones in Branson. Smart ones all over the internet. Glory to God. Bunch of smart ones tonight. We received it. What do you mean? We received the free gift. That has nothing to do with how good we were. Zero. Nothing. Nobody will be saved because of how good they were. Nobody will be lost because they weren't good enough. These are fantasies, these are religious traditions, and worse than that, they are lies. Lies. But the man, Jesus told him that. And he said he kept all the commandments. Let's let's pick up reading in the verse where we were. He said, the commandment, all these I've observed from my youth. Verse 21, Jesus beholding him loved him. He's not mad at him. He's not upset with him. The man asked him a question. He's going to give him the answer. (laughs) How do you get eternal life? Not by keeping the Ten Commandments perfectly. No sir, no ma'am. He said one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Now, a lot of people read that and they go, oh, see there, preacher, you just, you just messed up what you just said. Because, see, if you will give to the poor, you'll be saved. That's not what he said. And that's not what's going on here. What about people that went through their whole life and never had anything to give to the poor? They have to be lost because they didn't have enough money. I mean, if you can give enough to the poor that you're saved solely based on that, then you bought your way in. And in that case, Jesus didn't need to come for you. You bought your way in. Nobody has ever bought their way in. People tried. (laughs) You know, criminals a lot of times. They try to take some of their ill-gotten wealth and come give it to the church. Especially when they get older and get close to death and try to, you know, you know, kind of grease some palms before I leave here. <laughs> Ain't going to work. Never has. Never will. So what's he talking about? Well, you see exactly what he's talking about in verse 22. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. And so you see why the Lord said that to him because he was unwilling to do it. 
The Lord's not just trying to take his money away from him. He wants him to take his faith out of his goodness and his good deeds and his money and his stuff and put his faith in him. Only. Somebody say only. He's not asking him to take a vow of poverty. He's not telling everybody else they can't have anything. I mean, you remember when Zacchaeus was up in the tree and saw Jesus. And Jesus said, come down and I'm going to eat at your house today. And, and uh, when he got there in the middle of their, their meal or whatever, Zacchaeus stood up and he was a tax collector. And he had done, done a bunch of crooked stuff and, and basically stole. And, and he, he said, Lord, you know, uh, uh, if, any, if I've taken anything from anybody, I'm going to pay them back. What did he say? Fourfold. And he said, uh, and I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And the Lord said, oh, no, 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 no. Half ain't going to cut it. It's got to be all. If you want to get in, it's got to be. No, no. Well, he tells this guy all. He tells Zacchaeus half. Which one is it? It depends on you. And what you got your faith in. I know when I. When Phyllis and I left uh, our little meager place in Mississippi and went out to Oklahoma to start in the ministry, there were things I needed to let go of and leave. I was too much into it. I was too much into, uh, I was into martial arts. That was going to be my profession, I thought. (laughs) Thank God, because now I'd just be a beat up old man. <laughs> you know that those things have a, sh- a, sh- a small window when you're at your peak, and after a while, you just the other guys just faster, you know, stronger. So, uh, and instead of hurting people, uh, laying hands on them suddenly, <laughs> causing injury, we're laying hands on people softly and seeing healing. Thank God, it's better. It's better. Now, don't misunderstand me. If that's your thing, I'm not knocking it. I'm just, I'm, I'm making the joke. I'm being funny. I, I respect the sport, obviously. But um, uh, also, I was big into uh, cars and motorcycles. Uh, I spent too much of what I made uh, on making things go fast. I grew up around that, um, you know, uh, we we uh, no, we left nothing alone. I mean, uh, you got a car. We didn't have a bunch of money, but we knew people that could wrench, and people that could weld, and build a motor. And so, man, I'm you know I spent way too much of my time messing with that. And uh, the Lord dealt with me when we left. Uh, I had a 37 Ford coupe with a 400 horse small block and a bunch of things in it and the Lord dealt with me walk away and leave it sitting in the yard and don't do anything with it just walk away I had a fast motorcycle the Lord dealt with me leave it alone walk away I did and it just sat there for months and months and finally somebody said to her, I see that car you want to sell it and the Lord dealt with me yes yeah, sell it I sold it took a loss on it Sold this, sold that, and drove around in a little way underpowered (laughs) six-cylinder pickup (laughs) for years. (laughs) I mean, it it was not a bad little pickup, but it had a three on the tree with the six-cylinder, and it would get hung up once in a while. When uh, I'd I'd be downtown in traffic, and I'd have to get out and open the hood and go around and, and, and wiggle it and... And years later, the Lord dealt with me that if I wanted to enjoy a fast car, I could. Why? He was not, he's not against me having a nice car. What was the issue? It was, it meant too much to, I had been too immersed into it. I thought too much about it. It took too much of my time, too much of my money. Uh, So how do you, how do you wean yourself off of that? How do you change it? There's only one way that you, that you can demonstrate this. Yeah. 
You have to do without it for a while. Is anybody listening or not? I didn't take a vow of poverty. I didn't vow and say I'd never drive a fast car again. But when I gave it up, I didn't know if I would. I knew it wasn't a priority. Fast cars don't save people. Right? Fast motorbikes won't heal anybody. Won't give people spiritual answers and help them find peace or joy. Nothing wrong with them, but they are very, very temporary. They're just machines. If you love them, you're wasting your love because they will never love you back. And you can name them and pet them and polish them and call them baby and honey, and they are still just a hunk of metal and rubber and plastic, and everything down here is going to melt with fervent heat. And if you have put your trust and your love in that, you have wasted it. Not to say you can't enjoy one, but you don't trust in those things. And wherever your, your, your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Can you see this, friends? And who should have your heart? Not a car. Not a house. Right? Not piles of money. Who should have your heart? God only. Only. As far as, you know, who's your, your greatest desire, who's your greatest love, who's the most important to you, Jesus is to be not just your Savior only, but your Lord. King of kings and Lord of lords. Is he that to you? Yes. To many church going people, he is not. He's Savior, but he's not Lord. And we don't just only want to be saved. We want to become a disciple. What's a disciple? One who is following the master, learning to be like the master. Learning to talk like him, act like him, pray like him, believe like him, think like him. And that doesn't happen just overnight because you got born again. You got to get your mind renewed. And you're not born a fully developed spirit being. You're born a baby. The Bible said as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Grow up. And Ephesians talks about growing up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. So that you really do. Not just empty talk and rhetoric. But that you really begin to think like him. And pray like him. Speak like him. Act like him. Have we arrived? No, we don't claim to have arrived at total uh, perfect Christ-likeness. But we should be more like him today than we were last week. And should be a lot more like him today than we were 10 years ago. Do you agree or not? But if I'm pursuing something other than him, that will not be the case. If all I'm pursuing is sports or money or things, then I'm not going to be growing and becoming more like him. I will be developing in those things. So if he's number one, everything else is way down the list. And I can take it or leave it. I can use it. I can sow it. Come on, y'all with me? And when he tells this man, you know, uh, basically liquidate and give to the poor. And, and he, he's telling him already, you're not going to lose it. You'll have treasure. Didn't he tell him that? You're not losing this. But come and follow me. Come follow me. What is he offering him? Come follow me? Is he offering him a place on the crusade team? There's something here, right? Didn't just say believe in me and listen to me. No, come follow me. Travel with me. Glory to God. What's he offering this man? That should be so much more valuable than all the money in the world. But it wasn't. Which is why you see the Lord put his finger on the money thing. Not because of the money, but because of what it meant to the young man. It meant too much to him. He had too much of his heart in it. 
He depended too much on it. He trusted in it too much. He couldn't see how he could function without it. He was too afraid of losing it. And he went away sad. Why would he go away sad? His heart knows he's missing God right now. Big time. His heart is grieved. But he did it anyway. Keep reading. He was sad. Went away grieved. Verse 23. Jesus looked round about and said to his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And people pull out this one statement... And ignore everything he said before it and everything he says after it and try to make it all about money, which is the opposite of what the Lord was doing. He was trying to help the young man to see it's not about money. What do you mean? Why would it be hard for those that have riches to enter into the kingdom of God? You got to keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. The disciples were astonished at his words. Why would they be astonished? Because today, religious people are not astonished. They're like, yeah, see, I told you. Can't have all that money. Why were they astonished? Because they grew up on Genesis and Abraham being rich and David and Solomon. They didn't know anything about a God that wants you broke and poor. That came many millennia later. By the goofy ideas of men. They were astonished. They thought, what? Did I hear him right? They that have riches, not entering in. Because they're thinking about Abraham. He was rich as could be. They're thinking about Job. They're thinking about David, Solomon, all those guys. Rich, they were multi-billionaires by today's standard. What? So Jesus answered again. Oh, friend, don't miss this part. He said, children, how hard is it for what? For what? Oh, is everybody awake and reading? Them that what? Trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. The money is not the problem. What is it? It's putting your trust in the money. Relying on anything else or anyone else more than God is a problem. And if you've been there and you say you want to follow the Lord, he will put his finger on it. Huh? Why? He's trying to help you. He'll put his finger on it like he did with me. And after several years, uh, I, uh, I felt like, you know, well, I, maybe I can enjoy a, a car now. So I, I got one. And I realized right after I got it, I'd missed it. I'm moving too fast. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, son, I don't care if you have five of these. But that's not where you are right now. It, it was still... It affected my giving because I had a big payment on it and I had insurance to pay on it. The Lord said, I don't care if you have five of these, but that's not, you're acting like you're at a place that you're not. And look at your giving. See, we need to think about our giving before we sign the dotted line. Y'all with me or not? And agree to pay those easy you know, 150 payments, whatever it is. We, do we need to think about first? And I, I saw it, and it grieved me. I thought, oh, Lord. And I, so I, I sold it and lost You know how, if you, if you drive a car off the lot and keep it a month and then sell it, oh, I took a bath. And uh, so then I don't even have one. And the Lord dealt with me, you, you need to, you, your giving is not priority. And so I, sold, I had a little truck, I sold it, I, had a, I sold that car, and my wife had a Buick that somebody had given us. And I rode with her. 
I'd have to wait till she got off work and come pick me up. I'd had a car since I was 13. I grew up in the South. <laughs> had a 62 Impala four-door when I was 13. Could only drive it, you know, on the farm. But now, here I'm a grown man. <laughs> and I'm tapping my desk, waiting on my wife to come pick me up. And it didn't hurt me a bit. But another couple of years of that, I finally, with the help of the Lord, I got cars out of my system. And the Lord allowed me, helped me then after that to get one. I got a used one, but it was in the right place. My giving was here and the car was over here. Come on, can you see that? And it wasn't a burden to me. It was a blessing to me. And I enjoyed it and my giving kept going up. And my priority kept getting further and further away from that. And now, you know, the Lord has allowed me to enjoy a lot of things. But I can take them or leave them. I can receive them today, sow them tomorrow, and it not pull on my heart. But there's only one way to make that happen. And that's to do without it. For a period of time to separate. That's why he told this young man, you, you know, liquidate. Sell everything you got. He's not trying to hurt him. Now notice what he didn't say. Is everybody listening? He didn't say, sell everything you got and put it into my ministry. He did not say that. He told him to do something else with it. Why? Because, see, that sounds self-serving. He didn't say do that. So Mr. what would have been wrong with that? Because Jesus said, I only say what I hear the Father say, and that's not what he said. So anything else would have been wrong. Wouldn't have been right for him to put it all in Jesus' ministry. And it helps the man to see he's not just trying to get money out of, out of his pocket and his. And he's not just trying to make him poor. What's he endeavoring to get it? To cause to happen in his life. Where he can get to the place the psalmist was singing about. Only. Only. Is there freedom. In no longer being reliant. On men and women. Is there freedom. Is there liberty. In no longer depending. On people to notice you. Huh. Or to tell you. Or, or take time with you. Or, or give to you. If they don't. Even if they should. Even if they said they were going to do something and they don't do it. If God, if God's your source, you don't fall off your chair. You just go, well, it'll come from another place. Another channel, but the same source. Now somebody say, one source, only one source, many, many channels. Oh, praise God. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. My, my, my. Do you have some more time? How much time you got? Uh, go, to, go to 2 Chronicles, the 14th chapter. Is this important? It's what we're talking about important. It is so important. And uh, there are really some opportunities for, uh, it's always opportunities to practice this, but you know, if uh, you can, you can be more dependent on things than you think you are. And if you've had a job for years and all at once they've laid you off now and 24,000 other people. Hmm? If you don't know who your source is, you're going to panic. Huh? You are, you are going to have a meltdown. You're going to have migraines and ulcers and everything else. But if you do, what does that reveal? That you were kidding yourself about God being your source. Your job has been your source. That's what you've been counting on. That's what you've been relying on. The way you can tell is because when it's no longer there, you panicked. Are y'all okay? It's quiet in here. 
But if God was your source before you lost the job, guess what? He hadn't gone anywhere. He hadn't changed at all. And he's still your source after you lost the job. He can give you a better job before the day's over. We're hearing about these things. Have you heard? We're getting testimonies about this right now. He can give you a better job and more money if he needs to. He can have birds fly it in. He's done it before. Why? If God is your source... Everybody likes to holler about it, but what do you really look to when you need something? Where do you look? Who do you look to? What do you look to? What are you relying on? What are you depending on? See, the rich young ruler, I'm sure he was not aware of how much of his faith for security was in his money. Maybe he grew, he's a young man, so maybe his parents were wealthy. Maybe he grew up with it. And he didn't get that revelation until Jesus looked at him. He's the one that started it. Huh? The Lord didn't, you know, run him down. He ran Jesus down, didn't he? What can I do? I want eternal life. And you can hear implied, I want to go all the way. I want to go all the way. I want to go all the way with God. The Lord looked at him and loved him. What does that mean? There's a lot of good things to, to like about this young man. He has a lot of good qualities. But he's the one brought it up. You want to go all the way. Okay. Let's do this thing. You want to do it? Let's do it. What, what's the issue? The issue is always not about natural things, not about even things seen. It's always about the heart. And the Lord's looking at the heart. And wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And what should be the greatest treasure of all to you? Only God. Only the Master. Only his plan, his will, that should be so far above everything else. And the young man saw when the Lord said, okay, liquidate and give it to the poor. You won't lose it. You'll have treasure in heaven. And come on, boy, follow me. I'm going somewhere. Hook up with me. Let's go. He choked. He constricted. He pulled back. He got depressed. He was grieved. He's like, uh, uh. see, that happens so many times. People say, oh, God, I want to go all the way with you. Oh, God. Oh, God. And then, and then when he says something, people go, huh? That? Well, see, he knows your heart. He knows. I mean, he's not just having you do some exercise. That's why it's not the same exercise for everybody. That's why when Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give half, he didn't correct him and say, no, you've got to give all. He said, salvation's come to the house today. It's wonderful. He didn't go around telling everybody they have to give away everything. And you can't buy your way into heaven. It's about trust. Trust. What we rely on. What's most important to us. In uh, Second Chronicles, you believing with me? In uh, Second Chronicles 14, we see the story of King Asa, and uh, the Bible said in verse nine, Second Chronicles 14, there came out against them Asa and his forces. Judah and Benjamin, Zerah the Ethiopian with a host of a thousand thousand, that's a million troops, and 300 chariots, and they came unto Marisha. And Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephatha at Marisha. Now they are badly outnumbered. 
And Asa cried to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it's nothing with you to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. Who are they looking to? Who are they, who are they depending on? We what, Say that out loud. We rest, we rest on, you. on you. That's another way of saying, I, I rely on you. I'm leaning on you. I'm trusting in you. Looking to you. Resting on you. And uh, in your name we go against this multitude. Oh Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. And they pursued them. They had an amazing uh, victory. And there was, verse 14, there was exceeding much spoil, and they carried tents and cattle and sheep and camels in abundance and returned to uh, Jerusalem. This is an astounding, it's actually miraculous victory. Uh, I think you can see from the natural, there's no way they would have won except the Lord intervened. The Lord showed up. And manifest. The Bible said the Lord fought for them. And so they, as badly outnumbered as they were, they defeated and overcame this troop host of a million soldiers and 300 chariots. Astounding. But I want you to notice, I, I wish that was the end of the story. And it ended well. But it takes a turn. In the 16th chapter, it says uh, Israel came up against Judah. And, of course, Israel and Judah were two separate countries and nations. And Asa brought out silver and gold out of, this is 16.2, out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt in Damascus. Is everybody listening and watching? What did he do? He took the money out of the house of God and went and hired unbelievers, idol worshipers, to come help him against his enemy. He said, there's a league between me, so you go break your league with the king of Israel. And so Ben-Hadad hearkened, and he did it. And uh, verse 7, at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of your hand. See, the Lord is saying, I would have given you victory over them too. But you go and call them for help. But now... They're going to be over you. Verse 8. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host? Didn't I give you victory over an army of a million? And very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you did rely. Do you, do you keep hearing this word? You rely on the Lord. He delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein you have done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth you shall have wars. It's safe to say King Asa missed it. Led the whole country wrong. They, they missed it big time. And this, this is a, a verse that's quoted, and it should be, Second Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of who? Those whose what? Heart is perfect. Now, don't let that, it's a King James word, don't let that word throw you, don't take this out of context. Where did King Asa miss it? By trusting in man Instead of trusting in God. So his heart was divided. 
The word perfect can also be translated whole or complete. This could be translated wholehearted. Who, now this is, this is an amazing thing. God sees the entire planet from outside and he sees all the billions of the people on the planet. He sees the whole thing. And he's scanning it. He's scanning the planet. Eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth. He's scanning the planet in search of what? The Bible said when the Lord Jesus returns, shall he find faith? What is he scanning it for? He's looking not at bodies and minds and accumulation and possessions and natural success or What's he looking for? He's looking at hearts. He's scanning the earth. He he didn't even see your hairdo. He knows every hair that's there, but that's not what he's focused on. Are you dressed? Are this or that the other? He knows it. I didn't say he didn't care about it, but that's not what he's looking at. What's he looking at? He's scanning all of the billions of the hearts on the planet. What will set off his divine scanner? What will cause a light to beep and show up, if you will? What will he's scanning the whole planet. As he makes a sweep, what will cause something to stand out to him? Somebody who is not wavering. Somebody who is not mixed up and confused about who they're looking to or what they're depending on or what they're trusting in. Somebody who is wholehearted looking to him, relying on him, depending on him. He scans and goes, I see you. I see you. You don't have plan B, C, and D. You're not relying on mama or daddy or husband or wife or brother or sister or pastor or Republican or Democrat or government. You are only relying on me. That's what pleased him so much when they were under the gun and that host of a million came down on them and it looked like there was no hope. From the very top, the king stood up and he prayed a good prayer, man. I mean, he said, God, it don't make any difference how many they have and how many we have. You can do something with a lot or with a few. Our eyes are on you. We're trusting in you. We're relying on you. And God scanned, caught him and said, I can help you. I can help you. And, God, and when, they, when they went to battle with that huge uh, host, God showed up. And he fought against them himself. And they won an impossible battle. But you know, God knows what you know. And so when you've done this, and then another something comes up, and you decide to be lazy and not trust God. And now you're better off than you were when you first got started. We got money now. So instead of trusting God, let's just hire an army. We won't even have to leave the house. Yeah, I know they're heathens and other bad folks, but let's hire them. And we won't have to believe God. <laughs> the flesh is lazy. Yours? Mine, everybody's flesh has got the same kind of, if you yield to it, it'll get lazy and try to take the easy way out. What I can see, what I can fit, trust what I see, trust what I can do. See, he's relying on what he can do to fix this and make it. And God wants him to rely on him. He still wants you to rely on, on him. You know, the Bible talks about not casting away your first faith. You don't want to step out and believe God big and then pedal back 
and act like you don't know how to believe God. <laughs> he knows your heart. He said, come on, come on. You believe me when a million uh, folks were breathing down your neck. I know you know how. No, nah, don't pull out your checkbook. Believe me. No, don't try to fix it yourself. Believe me again. Believe me again. Let me show you again what I can do. What's, what's he doing? He's scanning. Scanning. Looking for what? He's scanning hearts. What kind of hearts he looking for? A heart that is focused only, completely, on him, trusting in him. Not in oneself, not in other men or women. And uh, when, the, when the prophet told him that in verse 9, Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in prison. He was in a rage with him because of this thing. How dare he talk to the king like this? Well, it wasn't just the man talking to him. It was God talking to him. And, and verse 12, Asa in the 30 and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet. Until his disease was exceeding great. Yet he has not changed. In his disease he did what? He sought not to the Lord. But to the physicians. In verse 13. He died. Slept with his fathers and died in the one and forty year of his reign. Why? Help me out saints. Because he went to the doctor. No. No. Come on, can you see this? Is money the root of all evil? No. Is if you have money, you can't get to heaven? No. What's the problem? Trusting in the money instead of God. Substituting something else. Looking to someone else, something else. To fix it instead of God. Now if you don't know any better. If you're completely ignorant. The Lord has mercy. He'll help you. But when you know. And he's come through for you. And you've seen it over and over again. It's not going to be okay. To just say. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to fix this myself. That's when you get in trouble. That's when you get hurt. What did the Bible say? In Psalms. Some trust. In chariots. And some in horses. Is he saying you can't use a horse? No. Can you say, I've heard people build whole doctrines on that verse. You're not supposed to go to the doctor. He didn't say you're not supposed to go to the doctor. There's plenty of other scriptures where we can show that he told people to do things and get treatment and get help. Thank God for the medical profession. A lot of people wouldn't be here. Thank God. Especially now. Aren't they doing some heroic things right now? I'm telling you. You can tell by, you know, seeing some of them on the news. They're just so tired and so fatigued. We'll pray for them before we leave tonight. I believe God will help, God will help them. Show them some ways to do things that they hadn't thought about. Do you believe God can give them wisdom? And show them how to do things to get, get more rest and, and not be unnecessarily worn. But no matter... How thankful we are for doctors and nurses and medicines and that kind of thing. We must not let any man be our healer or any man be our savior or any man or woman be our provider. Are y'all with me or not? The Lord said, I am the Lord who heals you. I mean, the best surgeon in the world does a procedure on you. Takes out something that didn't need to be there. Did he heal you? No. He helped you. But unless the Lord works healing in your body. You won't heal up. Man can't heal you. A woman can't heal you. No man or woman can save you. And so. He's not saying you can't use a horse. You can't use a chariot. What's he saying? Don't. Trust them. Don't put your confidence in trust that we're going to win this battle because of the horses. 
and the chariots. Use them. Do your training. Grease the wheels and sharpen the swords. Y'all with me? Feed the horses. But what do you do? Before you launch, you get out there and hold up your hands and say, God, we know unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that built it. Is that right? Unless you protect us, the watchman wakes but in vain. And all of our preparations and all of our training will be for nothing if you don't show up and help us. Our eyes are on you. We are relying on you. We are trusting in you for our victory, for our protection, for our help. And the scanning of the Lord covers the earth and you light up. He knows if you're just talking a bunch of stuff or if it's really from your heart. And if you're telling the truth, and even though you've made good preparation, you're still counting on him most of all. You, you use it if he tells you to use it or not use it if he tells you not to use it. But you're counting on him. And that's the way we're to do with doctors and medicines. He didn't say you couldn't go to the doctor. He didn't say you can't use a medicine. But nor does it mean that you just, when you go to the doctor, forget about God and and just rely completely on them to fix you. They're human beings. They don't know everything. They can make mistakes. They can get things wrong. And just because they say, take this or have this procedure, doesn't mean you just automatically do that. You ask the Lord. You look to him and ask him, do I do this? Should I do this? And he can use it or not use it. But God is my only provider. Many channels, but only one source. God is my only healer. I thank God for the men and women, and he's used a lot of men and women to help us and do a lot of great things, but they're not the healer. huh? And it's all too often they look at you and say, there's nothing more we can do. Now what do you do? If your faith wasn't in God to start with, you're going to panic. You're going to collapse. Don't wait till it's that situation to learn how to put your faith in God. Put your faith in God. And then no matter what people can do or can't do, you're not shaken. You're not moved. Because you had your eyes on him to start with. Hallelujah. And when he finds somebody whose heart is whole toward him, he shows up. And what did he say? He he shows himself strong on the behalf of those who have a heart like this. Do you believe it, child of God? Stand on your